Welcome to the Back to Back Pod. It's Thursday, and that means Nerder She Wrote. I am your host, David Ford. Joining me, as always, Coach David, not Dave, Thor. Coach, uh, a couple weeks ago, I started tracking my sleep. Do you wear, like, a smartwatch or anything? No. Do you believe in that stuff at no. all? No, I mean, I don't care if anyone else does. I don't okay. I don't so, I wear real watches every day, uh, every night anyway. I don't wear digital stuff. Okay, uh, now, normally, I can't sleep with a watch on. I know I used to wear like a Timex, like uh, one of those $25 weekender watches, but I, I got an Apple watch. I like it for tracking workouts and, and things like that. But I've been wanting to track my sleep because I'm trying to pay more attention to it. As I get older, I realize how important it is, how terrible I feel when I don't get sleep. So I've been tracking my sleep and the number one indicator for whether or not I'm getting a good night's sleep or not. Do you want to guess what it is? Uh, whether the, uh, warriors play bad or not. <laughs> no. no, actually it's alcohol, which it, that's, it's yeah. really bumming me out yeah, to not, not be able to have. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and then the best night's sleep I got was, uh, going to bed at 10 o'clock instead of staying up till well, midnight. How, how is that even defined as, as someone who is a fan of sleep for my athletes? How is good sleep defined? So Wait, time I, or what? It's, uh, it's getting, getting eight hours, eight to nine hours, whatever you, you actually decide. And then what it does is it looks at the ratio of deep sleep, REM sleep, light sleep, how many times you wake up and what your heart rate does during that sleep. So, uh, like my dog woke me up in the middle of one night and that's a, that gives you a big spike in, in bad time, right? Because you don't want to be woken up. And so, yeah, it's been really fun to track. And I think that like at the end of six months, I might actually kind of put the results out and say, look. You can see as the season goes along and I get, you know, I'm, I'm getting less and less sleep or more and more sleep, depending on how the season goes. You know, right. if this is all decided by February, then maybe I can get some more sleep. But uh, it's been really, really interesting so far, um, kind of using some of the stuff that we, I use for basketball training where, you know, I track shots and I do all this stuff for my own life to try to improve it. I'm a five hour night guy. If I get five a night, I'm good. Normally one night a week, I might need seven. I've been that for my entire life. Yeah. But with all the studies that are coming out, it looks more and more like brain health is dependent on more, more and better sleep. So if you can get six really great hours, it's better than eight decent hours. Right. But I have a hard time even getting six decent hours. So I'm, I'm shooting for eight. I close my, I read a little bit in bed. I close my eyes. I wake up five hours later every night, whatever. I don't even think twice about it. I don't know. Yeah, I have to alarm. But I take a good, it used to be a 15 minute nap. Then it cut to 12. Now lately it's been about eight. I track up my songs. What I do is I look up my song list before I go to take a nap and I see what three songs are coming. And like, sometimes I'll pick them. And then uh, I I pretty much don't make it to the, the, the end of the third one. Unless it's like, I have a couple of Zeppelin songs that are eight minutes long of really beautiful, like classical music Zeppelin. And then I'll, I'll try to make it through at least one of those. But yeah, my nap time is getting shorter. But if you're up till two in the morning, like I was up to two thirty last this morning and um, I'm fighting a pretty bad cold. So I think I slept till eight. So I got, I probably got about, yeah, five and a half hours, even with the cold medicine. I actually felt fine. Are you, a ca- are you a caffeine guy? You like coffee or? I don't, I've never had a sip of coffee in my life. Um, I used to drink about Four to eight cups of green tea a day. I try to cut because it's anti-cancer stuff. I had a little right. cancer issue a long time ago. I cut that down to about, I'm drinking one now, maybe three or four cups of green tea unsweetened. 
Um, yeah, I mean, try, other than try, I try to cut my caffeine down right in the last two months. And then alcohol, I don't have a hard, fast rule, but typically it's one night a week, two, not, two drink maximum. Oh. Uh, with, with some exceptions, holidays, whatever, but I'll never drink a lot two nights in a row. And I mean, I probably average in a month. I probably average, uh, you know, six drinks in a month. I, I like drinking. I really like mixing the drinks. Right. Especially during this time of year where I'm watching games and friends don't come over as often. Um, you know, if I have, I think, I think the last three weeks I've had two drinks. Huh. I, I went out uh, Saturday night. Uh, shout out to uh, Count the Dings listener Eric Fritz for inviting me out to a little spot here in San Antonio where they make their own rakia. It's actually like award winning, beautiful, wow. delicious stuff. Wow. Uh, goes down way too easily. <laughs> and the worst night of sleep that I've had since I started tracking was Saturday night. Um, I would definitely recommend to any listener never, if you don't really want to drink a lot, never go out with an NBA player because <laughs> they like to do shots. Now, during the season, they're fine. Like, I remember going out with a couple of players one night during All-Star break. And one player had a, one light beer, and the other one had two white, two glasses of white wine for the night. Even if it was All-Star break, these were, they were probably 30, 31. Uh, uh, they, ju- they just are not going to abuse their bodies during the season. They know what it feels like when you try to recover from All-Star break if you're drinking the whole time. Maybe they do that when they're in their 20s. But when you go out to like a, a wedding or a party with them, the shots are flying, and I don't do shots. So I throw it <laughs> on my shoulder. Whoever's uh, behind me gets wet. But, um, yeah, they're crazy. <laughs> well, you know, the Warriors don't follow that rule when they go to L.A. And uh, speaking of the Warriors, we're going to have Ethan Strauss on uh, a little later on in the show. We're going to talk a little bit about advanced scouting, and and obviously we're going to talk some Warriors. But I wanted to pick your brain on this because yeah. you and I haven't had a chance to talk. Uh, what's happening in Chicago? I mean, obviously a lot of dysfunction there. Uh, you've got Jim Boylan taking over for Hoiberg and doing his best William Bly impression. Um, the, the old school tactics for a guy like Boylan, uh, essentially running headlong into new school thinking uh, in particular about rest, how much you work these guys, and then also some potential CBA issues because of, you know, how that stuff is structured. And I want your opinion on this because you and I both coach. Yeah. Uh, I pay close attention to, to rest and, and how much we're working guys. And, and I'm sure you do the same thing. Um, it, have you ever had a situation where you felt like you needed to work your team harder the day after a big loss and were you were met with some resistance or, or do you just think you just move on? I mean, the NBA game is different, and and sometimes when I when I because I help a lot of high school coaches, and when I advise them on these kinds of topics, the the older school thinkers tend to push back and say, "Well, these guys are young, and they're not NBA playing every night," and they're right. There is something to be said about that. Uh, I think there's a lot of context that has to be taken into this, Dave. Context number one needs to be communication. Like how how is that bridge between team and player uh, and coach, uh, are they running because they're disrespectful, which is very much the case in high school. You see a lot there. Are they just out of shape? There's lots of things. And and then how is that communicated to the team? What what I would, what I would want to see ideally as someone who's, you know, I've had a lot of NBA players that I've helped and I've talked to agents a lot, whatever. 
is I want my players informed of what the thinking is. What is the short-term and long-term plan? Uh, for example, if you want to ratchet up our conditioning because you feel like the previous coach didn't attend to that and we've got conditioning issues, well, then how does that fit into your overall plan? In other words, if I want, to, if I want Zach Levine to get in better shape, am I going to bust his ass in practice and then have him sit a game? So we can recover from it and maybe even condition on that day shorter, not so equal to what he'd be doing in a game. So that maybe four or five days later, you'll have you'll start seeing some progress in conditioning. That to me is part of a comprehensive plan that would make some sense. But to just crack the whip in a sense and make these guys run around harder on their off days without really communicating it and and challenging their manhood, Dave. I'm not real big on machismo. Thank you. I think it just kills people. Thank you. I think people just die from it. Yeah. But, Quit being, a, quit being a macho man and uh, and work with your guys and the long-term plan. We have, you know, 60 games left, 58 games left. This is our plan to get in better shape, be more competitive. We're not going to win the championship this year, guys, by the way. Right. But let's be much better in January, February going forward. Here's our plan. In particular, in a league that prides itself on being mm-hmm. smart it, to the point right. where it can sometimes be off-putting. And, and executives in the NBA always – act like they're, they're smarter than everyone else. I mean, I don't know how your experience has been, but that's, that's very, very common in my experience. Like, so let's be smart. How often do you see macho and smart in the same sentence? I'd much rather be smart than, than, you know, have someone think, well, that's, that's a man. Are you, are you a Richard Pryor fan at all? You're a young guy, but, but I, I, I laugh at Richard Pryor, but like, I can't call myself a fan. So I, I, uh, he, he's older than well, he's passed. He was older than sure. me. Yeah. Yeah. He, when he was in his prime, I was of, of the age where if you said fuck or boob or tit or whatever, it was, you giggle <laughs> a little bit when you were 12. Right. But I mean, I saw his movies in concert when they came out back then they actually didn't have on cable. You went to movie theaters to watch these guys in concert. And, uh, I, I saw Richard Pryor live on the Sunset Strip with my brother, Mike, when I was 16 years old at Pinellas Park Square Mall. And I had every album he ever released. I, I knew every word of every joke. I knew every grunt, every sigh. I lived on those things religiously, which is why I think one reason why I curse like Picasso paints sometimes. I have a little <laughs> feel for it, kidding around. But he has this really funny story where he talks about uh, Macho Man. Macho Man. He's like, you know, when you, when someone pulls a knife on you and all you can do is pull out some skin, run. That's his whole thing is about running. He's like, but if you want to be macho man, I'll, you know, I'll take that knife and shove, take that knife and shove it up your ass. That's what Pryor's saying. <laughs> That's when you really are macho man. I put your ass to sleep, I'm macho man. No, macho man just gets you killed. And I feel like in, in everyone wants to be the alpha male in the NBA, whatever. To me, and I've talked to players about this, coaches like Steve Kerr uh, know when to puff up and know when to lean back. And I call that grace and maturity, emotional maturity. You, you, sometimes you have to let the younger guys beef around a little bit, you know, as a dad, sometimes let the guys rough around then it's time to take control. Uh, I don't know Jim Boylan at all. I I don't know Boylan at all. I, I don't think I've ever met him. I've not watched the Bulls since. I think I read today, Zach Levine has some really good words about, what he wants to do going forward and, and, and being accepting. Well, when, when one of your young players who isn't ever considered so mature sounds like the dad in the room, 
something's wrong with the franchise, which I think is what we're talking about here is this is a franchise issue, not a Jim Bullen issue. Well, Zach Levine, I think comes out looking better than everybody in this situation. Uh, and, And this, to me, it goes up to, to John Paxson, who's had this combative style with players and coaches since he's been there. And it's just, you know, it's a toxic environment. We talk a lot about how, how terrible it is in Phoenix and, you know, the ownership situation there, but ownership is worse in Chicago. It's way worse. If they didn't have Michael Jordan, you know, if they didn't weren't lucky enough to draft Michael Jordan and get Scotty Pippen and then to draft Derek Rose and, and Joe Noah, I w- they would have had no success in one of the biggest markets in America. So I always try to protect anyone until I know everything. I can't trash the owner. If, if I don't know the executives, I can't trust the executive. I don't know the owner. I don't, I don't know the owner there. Um, but the buck stops with him. Right. And then you look at, I know, I know Paxton. I spent time with Paxton and Gar Foreman. The record speaks for themselves. I, I, they're just, they're fine. One on moment. I've talked to them. They've been really gracious to me in the past. The record is what it is. And, uh, to, to think that suddenly it's going to change seems a little bit nonsensical, but talent matters for something. And they, if they can acquire more talent, then that'd be a good thing. But, but I, but in particular, I've watched Zach Levine since his rookie season. Actually, I, I did get a chance to talk to him when he was in the draft. And, um, I always thought he was going to be a, a Jamal Crawford come off the bench and just go get buckets. Don't think, don't process, just go. And that was the best way to utilize him. I still believe that, but I may be wrong because he showed some depth of maturity by, by coming clean with what he said the other day or yesterday. And that's a good sign. I just feel like bad franchises tend to do bad things and, and the good ones tend to do good things. And that's why they, are far apart all the time. Uh, well, speaking of Michael Jordan, um, last night, the Charlotte Hornets, they, they won the game on a buzzer beater. Jeremy lamb, uh, hits a buzzer beater and Malik monk, who is a second year player, uh, walks out on the court. Uh, and there was a playful moment where Michael Jordan, he actually missed the first time that he tried to hit him. And then he, he smacks him on the back of the head. I mean, it was light, you know? Yeah. Uh, people were, Mostly, I think people are taking it the right way. To me, it looked like a playful thing. I'm not sure if if an owner should have that type of type of relationship with players. Uh, I don't know where you stand on that. But uh, what'd you think about the the entire thing? Yeah, I just watched it today. Uh, everything to me has to be context, and um, I would not recommend a a owner do that to any player without having a real relationship with those players. Uh, uh, Dan Levitard and some others are trying to make it a white-black thing. I don't think you have to. It's it's just got to be a relationship thing. That, to me, like, I don't think Monk even realized what was happening. Right. Other than other than he got the point, I, I screwed up. Uh, that was fucking Mike Jordan. I know. I know. Like, <laughs> I, like I, I think if someone asked Monk, I don't know if someone did, he would just be like, I didn't even realize it, but... I mean, if, if my owner sees me do a stupid thing like that and, and, and doesn't really yell at me, I mean, yeah. I mean Jordan had that. He looked like the proud dad who yeah. realized my kids are perfect. Right. That's what he looked like to me. And, and I think that a white owner could have done that to a black player, which a lot of people are saying they can't if, if they've invested time with them or 
if it was Larry Bird. Like oh, right, yeah, exactly. Either way, they don't have to be a great player to have a great relate. I have, I, I could do that. I once had, you remember Tyrus Thomas, uh, yeah. uh, enigmatic player for the Bulls that I, I spent a long time with. He said to me once we were we were having a pretty serious conversation uh, down at a, down in Florida here in Florida, and we were walking to get some food in a, on a campus, and um, I don't remember what I said, but I was talking pretty tough with him. And he's like, Coach, you are the only white man I've ever known that could curse me out, and I'll take it. And I, what he was saying, he's a, actually a very bright, sweet person. What he was saying to me is, Coach, you've earned the right to be tough, tough with me because you've loved me when I've needed it. And so say whatever you want to say to me now. I, I get it. You, you have no malice to what you're saying. Uh, Draymond Green has said that a couple of times regarding Kerr. Right. When, when he realized Kerr really does care about him. They might get mad at each other sometimes. That's what sure. happens to teams. I thought with Jordan, and I think with any owner, there's just not many owners that can get to know players the way Jordan can. But that's the benefit of having Michael Jordan as your owner is he actually knows the game really well. And Jordan was right. Yeah. Just <laughs> hey, kid, the game ain't over yet. Let's stay locked in here. Wins are important for us. Right. Well, he could, I mean, he spend, spends a lot of time around the team. I mean, like we always hear about him attending practices and things like that. But to me, it, it makes it, it's it's sort of like an endorsement of Malik Monk. I, I'm a big Malik Monk fan, and I think that, that he's going to be really good. Yeah. Um. You know, the ankle injury he suffered last year really set him off. You know, on on a bad road, and yeah. I, I think that things are going to work out well for Monk. But I think Michael Jordan also thinks Monk is going to be good. Now, I, and maybe that should make me rethink things a little bit because his track record's not amazing. Um. But I, I liked it. I thought it, I thought it was neat. And again, like you said, it's that's Michael fucking Jordan. Yeah. Like it's, it's an objectively cool moment, right? Like to have that. Um, so, uh, down the road a little bit. Now you're going to carry me on this one because I don't watch college basketball. Um, I have actually seen, I saw more Zion before I got to college than I have since I just watched the highlights. Now I, yeah. you know, I do all that cramming like yeah, in me April, too. May. I yeah. typically do that too. Yeah. But Zion is special. Yeah. And he is, I mean, it, basically consensus number one at this point. What have you seen out of him recently? Like, you know, you, you actually told me that you wanted to talk about him. Yeah. And that's uh, for a college player. I think that that's high yeah. praise. So. I'm not talking about college guys in December. <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly. I just, I'd read a lot about him. And so the other yesterday I watched some tape on him and I had never really seen him. I mean, just a couple of minutes here and there. My, my son, if I'm lucky enough at night, he doesn't have any studying. He'll come to my office. We'll have three NBA games on in a college game. And if Duke is playing, he, he likes watching Zion play a little bit. Uh, so I've seen a couple minutes here and there. Uh, um, he, he's, he's got to be the first pick in the draft. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I didn't know that he was contested number one. I don't pay attention to mock drafts. He was time of year. But um, he's got to go number one. He, he's going to destroy the league. Yeah. He's, he's got a chance to be, when I say destroy the league, like 10-time all-star. Yeah, he, he's got to grow his game right. and he's got to lean out his body. But even when he does lean out his body, he's going to have the bone structure of a gigantic man. And yeah, he's a monster like yeah. that. That word gets thrown around a lot. But I mean, he's six, six, two eighty five right now. And I mean, you talked about his body. Like once he hits an NBA weight room and gets to like two sixty. Yeah, he'll be two fifty five, two sixty. He'll be lean and cut. And, uh, yeah, I mean, college, come on, they're eating McDonald's every other day. Uh, they're, they're eating pizza at two in the morning. Like he'll be a man and he'll, he'll eat right. I mean, I, I always use Kevin love as one of many, many examples. 
Uh, the guy didn't have an ounce of fat on him in the, in the uh, body issue of ESPN. Go look at his rookie season. Yeah. He's a, he's a thick, he's a big round dude. Um, <laughs> he looked like a guy that played, you know, at the church gym on Sundays. So Zion's going to look that way. You would think he's going to have a lot of money to hire personal trainers and personal chefs and everything else. Um, I think his wingspan's over six ten. He jumps out of the gym, but here's here's what jumped out at me about him. I saw some Larry Birdenham, like, and I, and I saw some Westbrook in him. Uh, and the Barkley comparison, I'm sure I'm not the only one to say that. No, I, no, no. I saw Charles Barkley in college live. I was wow. a freshman at Florida, and he was a sophomore at Auburn with Chris Morris and Chuck Person. They were fantastic, those three. And um, they came to Florida. There's a couple of funny things that happened. I, I won't go into them now, but I sat like third row up. And so I got it. And I knew basketball a little bit then. I was only 18, though. And I, and I just had turned 19. Uh, he, he was amazing. Yeah, amazing talent. Yes. This guy is is Barkley. Taller, longer, I think. Uh, he's got a lot of similarities to Barkley. He might be a better scorer at this age than Barkley was. Uh, I, yes, he's got to work on his shot. But there's no reason to think he didn't have to before this. He could just play volleyball. And he's always, you know, there are very few guys in the NBA that can play volleyball because everyone else is a man too, but he's going to be able to play volleyball. He's, he's just that much wider and stronger than, than almost any guy he'll play against. Yeah. The knock, the knock on him. And like you said, he played volleyball. The knock on him was, can he shoot? Can he do anything but dunk? And, and I even said that I asked that, you know, cause you, yeah. you only saw him do that in, in high school. Um, but he didn't but have Jack, to do Jack anything Rose else. Jack Rose couldn't shoot out right. of high school because why would he have to shoot? Nobody can stay exactly. in front of him. He'll, yep. he'll, this guy will learn how to shoot. But uh, how do you see him fitting into the league? So, like, I, he's clearly he's a he's a wing. But I, I mean, I think a smart coach is going to play him some at the five. He's he's going to initiate offense. Like definitely it, some at the four. Definitely a swing forward, big forward. But I mean, six yeah. ten wingspan, two sixty. That that he he'll be able to guard four is no problem. They're going to have a tough time guarding some of them. Your, your slow stretch shooting big is going to have problems guarding that cat because yeah. he is so explosive. There is a transition game. A fast team should draft him. He, he should be able to really run. He's got some Patrick Beverly in him. He's got some dog in him. Like he wants to kick your ass. He's got some burden in him where he he's willing to be reckless with his body. He's yeah. willing to make inspirational plays with his body. Like he, he understands the value of that. I was surprised to see him doing that. Uh, and he's got Westbrook in him in that he, he wants to show off his athleticism. There's been great athletes. Baron Davis was a miraculous athlete who only showed it sometimes Westbrook wields his hammer all the time. I think Zion does too. He wants the lob. He wants to tip dunk. He wants to drive straight line and, and explode and dunk. He wants to exploit his athleticism advantages. And, uh, and so factor those in together, the guy's going to be, He's going to be a 10 time plus all-star as long as going to shoot, but Giannis can't shoot and he's doing pretty good. (laughs) I I talked to Zion in April at the hoop summit and he was hurt. He had the thumb or wrist thing um, and he couldn't play. So he and I were just kind of shooting the breeze. And I asked him, I was like, so what, what's going to surprise me about your game at Duke? He was like my passing, his passing has been fantastic. Feel of the game. Like I've, I talk about that. So uh, probably too much. Um, but he's got it. Like he yeah. has that thing where he knows 
he's thinking two or three steps ahead of everyone else. And it's very, very obvious at the college level. Um, his defense is even great. Like he's going to be a legit shot blocker in the NBA. There's nothing. And like you said, the shooting, I think he will shoot. I don't know if he's going to have a hole in his game by the time it's all said and done. LeBron couldn't shoot at high school either. Uh, Yeah. I remember talking to LeBron's, uh, the top assistant coach who really kind of ran the team. Uh, I actually brought him down here to maybe take the, the high school job near my house. I want him to get the job, actually. And he told me LeBron had just finished his senior year. His name is Stephen Culp, the coach. And Stephen said, uh, LeBron mostly shoots fadeaway threes because he's just bored. Uh, you know, LeBron, LeBron, just nothing was challenging for him. When you start learning, when you really focus in, and he doesn't have the, the gifts that LeBron has it being almost 6'9", Zion's going to have to shoot the ball a little bit. But uh, his, his awareness, I mean, the guy is just a baller. And, and we always talk about this. The, the players are going to be much better pros. Like, he's going to be so much better as a pro because the court is so much wider. And if you talk about his passing, now with Duke, he's lucky enough to throw it to good players too. But he's going to be throwing it to better players around him and uh, the lane is going to be open for him. You know, his his pick and roll game as a screener with his with that athleticism, the ability to play uh, above ground. Um, if uh, if he played for D'Antoni's system in Amari's position with the early roll, the short roll, one dribble dunk or get deeper for the lob, like he'd be dynamic. And it is, be in particular, player. you know, his ability to hit guys in the corner. When he gets to the NBA, those guys are actually going to make those shots. Yeah. And, uh, and of course, you know, wider to begin with. It's just wider. Right. So if you're going to, you know, a lot of guys don't want to leave the corner shooter. So the angles are there. Like, like, I think he could average. Someone was telling me the other day that they thought they heard me say he could average 25 a game as a rookie. I don't think I ever said that. I could see 18 plus as a rookie, depending on where he goes. So he's, you know, and, and relatively efficiently. He, as long as he learns to shoot, especially, he, he is going to be a monster right away. Have you, how do you feel about uh cam reddish? I, I'm, I'm no really high new players right now. Okay. None. Yeah. All right. So I only watch Zion on tape. All right. So you should but check out cam reddish. One of my favorite players I coached, his last name is reddish. I don't know if there is a relation or not, but well, he, so again, another guy has great feel. Uh, I'm not even sure. Um, so I saw him at things about him. Yeah. I saw him at hoop summit. Uh, he's from Pennsylvania. Um, again, six, eight, really long. I think he's going to be able to guard two through four pretty easily. Yeah. Uh, good passer, good shooter. The, the motor stuff to me seems to be a lot of, you know how the, the whole high school AAU kind of recruiting circuit goes, yeah. um, where guys are, they they're stuck with something based on maybe one performance. I think that the motor stuff might be overblown on him. He could wind up being the best player in this draft. Like, I think he's that, that he's that kind of athlete has that kind of upside, but he can already shoot. Yeah. So, um, but he, I, I haven't watched. Him I have to study him because if he can be better than Zion, that would be like Zion to me is got MVP level abilities because of what he can do on both ends. Yeah. The, Zion could be every bit the player Kawhi Leonard is guys. He could be every bit the player Kawhi Leonard is, and he's going to be drafted 14 slots higher. Is, is he the best prospect to that, I mean, of course, you haven't watched everyone in this class, right? But is Zion the best prospect that you've seen? I don't know since Durant. Well, so by prospect, you mean if, if in terms of guessing where he's going yes. to be? 
Yeah, guessing where he's going to okay, be. Okay, so you were coming out of college? Right. No, I thought I thought uh, Towns could be a, a, a many-time MVP Hall of Famer. Okay. Um, Jaron Jackson? I didn't watch him in college, so oh, I have okay. no opinion. Now, yeah. I don't know that I don't know that Jaron Jackson ever is like he he he's good enough probably to be an MVP once. It's hard to project that out because you don't know how many points he will get. How many MVPs did Duncan win? Three? Did he win three? I two? thought maybe two. Yeah. But but he played for Pop. Right. Jaron's in Memphis. Well so they're not gonna be top three probably until right. there's a lot of changes there. So it's gonna be tough for Jaron to be MVP. But Towns has that ability. Zion has that ability too. I was a big fan of Wiggins also, but I I didn't think he'd ever be MVP. I thought Wiggins could make the team U- Team Canada and have MVP Team USA one day or something. But um, I think I think Towns was was about a, as good a prospect you're going to get. Well, speaking of MVPs, the MVP of sports coverage, the Athletic. <laughs> We've got a, we've got a promo code, theathletic.com slash back to back. That's back. The number two back gets you 40% off of your uh, subscription to the athletic where you can find Sham Sharania, Z- count the ding zone, Zach Harper, Sam Amick, and our guest who's coming up, Ethan Strauss. And we're actually going to talk to Ethan about an article he wrote for the athletic yesterday on the sad life of the advanced scout. And, uh, I think, I mean, it's the best thing I've read all year, but we'll get to that soon. Um, uh, no, let it, me say something about it before yeah. he comes on. Okay. Cause I don't want to, I mean, I, when Ethan's on, I want Ethan to talk. I, I may not say very much. I have a lot of people over the last 15 years, you know, talking, Hey coach, how can I get a job as a scout? And I always say, well, why in the fuck do you want to do that? Ooh. But my son, I was talking to my son not too long ago and, and he wants to run an NBA team one day. And we talked about kind of the process, right? And I said, well, you need to, you know, go get an advanced degree in mathematics or in, I don't, he doesn't love math. He's fine on it, but he doesn't love it. And I'm not going to make him take eight years of calculus if he hates it. Um, so I said, go to law school, you know, get a law degree and then, and work on wall street maybe for a little bit. And then I'll get you, you know, I can, I can get him, I can get an entry level job in the NBA. And he's like, well, I just want to start scouting. I said, no, you don't. That's the one place I don't want you to do. You, you'll have watched enough games as my son to not have to go that route. Maybe, maybe start out coaching if you want to a little bit. He knows I don't really love that life either for, for a family guy, but, um, the advanced scout is just, it's not, it's a, it's, it's a grind, like almost no job in existence. And you also, you often get stuck there. It's not exactly like you're going to climb the ladder, but you can also at the athletic, you can also find Zach Harper's fantastic power rankings, which have quickly become one of my favorite things to read. One of my funny. favorite things to read every week. Uh, <laughs> I mean, Zach is, he's funny he's on the podcast, but yeah. man, he hits a whole nother level on these power rankings. You can tell he really enjoys what he's doing, which is what the athletic is all about. Uh, so go to athletic.com slash back to back, uh, get your 650 to 700 news stories every week that covers all sports in all. Are they in every market now, Jade? They're in many. I think they've got they've definitely got all 30 <laughs> NBA markets covered. Uh, again, it's it's some of the best money I've spent. Yeah. Also, like the the actual interface of the site, beautiful. Very. Nice. Yeah, it's fantastic. No ads, no pop ups, and none of our least favorite things: the autoplay videos, which is why I can't bring up I can't bring up uh, certain four letter networks box scores when I'm podcasting because you never know when you're going to get. Some loud 
Yeah. And so, you know, the athletic is just fantastic. And speaking of the athletic, whoa. Yes. Joining us, uh, (laughs) the host of the House of Strauss right here on the Count the Dings Network and one of the pioneers of the high energy intro, (laughs) Ethan Sherwood Strauss. I think that would be good on my tombstone. I think that would be good. (laughs) Pioneer of the high energy intro. I did not know. I, th- there's a visual component. I am looking at the both of you uh, on video. I did not expect that. I thought this was the audio, audio, uh, audio version. But both it of is. you look quite it nice. Is. You look quite fresh. Quite, well, we're, it's great to see you. This is the best looking podcast on the network, so we like to show it off. <laughs> I mean, it's a little bit like when they say Duke is the uh, Harvard of the South. Oh, oh, a shot at the network and the shot at the region, the major oh, region of the man. United States. Well, Ethan, uh, I want to talk to you about this article that you put out yesterday. I actually reached out and let you know, this is the best thing I've read all year. Um, and, and it's not a story that I don't know, um, for the thing I do during the summer sports business classroom, I, I work with a lot of scouts and I talk to these guys all season. And so I know that life is a grind, but the way that you were embedded with this scout, I, I thought was such a unique angle. How did you come up with the idea to do this? Um, I think it was from a series of conversations. It was, uh, I, I first, I, I was interested in what advanced scouts do. And sometimes a, a lot of my perspective on articles is I want to try to tell the reader something they didn't know. I want to give them a peek behind the curtain. I think that's a place where you can add some value. And it's sometimes hard to get stories like that greenlit at a lot of other publications, but it's it's not so hard to get that kind of story greenlit at The Athletic. And I, I thank my editors for that because I think there's this attitude of this doesn't map on to something that, that we're used to. Right. You know, back at ESPN, I wrote a story on uh, the sneaker war, the, the the Steph Curry Nike sneaker war. And, you know, what's kind of funny about that. Now I'm getting digressive. Uh, that article uh, did really well. Um, and I was pleasantly surprised by that, but it was cut from ESPN, the magazine. They, they, they cut it from the magazine. I don't think they thought it would do that well. So it was not in the print edition because I think there was this idea of what is this? Is this sneaker stuff? And now you see sne- it's sneaker stuff is, is all over the place now. And it'd be more, it would not, that would not happen now. So my perspective often is what is not being talked about? What is a component of the game that fans would be interested in that they don't know about? I I targeted advanced scouting as one of those things because it's such a hard life. And I don't know if readers are so much interested in the hardness of the life, but they might be interested in the espionage aspect of it and how there's this game within a game and how, if you're looking at the coach, you're looking at a guy, look at the coach. You can actually see this transpire. You can look at the scout, look at the coach. You can see the coach relay the signal to the player. You can see the defensive players all signaling to each other, what the hand signal will be, um, which as an aside, my guy, my scout said the players screw up at least half the time. Um, And it's a secret little element of basketball. And so I wrote the first one. And then after that got a good response, one of the scouts I talked to said, look, you don't even know. You don't even know. You thought, you know, but you had no idea. What was that? Dear diary. Was that an MTV thing? I don't, I don't don't know. But what have you just trailed me on the road for a week? And with a baby, that's a hard thing to do. It's a hard thing to pitch to my wife, but I have a wonderful wife. And she said, you know what, we're going to, we're going to get, uh, we're going to get my mom out here. We're going to make it happen. And hopefully you don't die six games <laughs> and seven nights. And uh, that's, how, that's how it went down. 
She's also a very good co-host on the oh, House yeah. of Strauss. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to, um, I haven't even told Jade what I want to do, but I want to do an episode of sort of a version of take your wife to work, except I can never take her to work. So I'm just going to show up with the microphone and the recorder. And I just want to show her, it's almost a letter of this is what a media day is. This is who I'm talking to. This is what it's like in the media room with everybody busting each other's balls is what it's like in the locker room. Thank you, Jade. Great idea. <laughs> and I think Jade can kill the production and then, you know, she'll co-host. So I think that's going to be an upcoming episode to look forward to. But but yeah, I'm, I'm uh, sorry. I'm being so digressive, guys. I think it's because okay. I'm just looking. I'm looking at both of your personal your personable visages. <laughs> that's just, it. Uh, See, it's a game changer. It is. It's, it's a, game, a game, changer. game changer. When people think of scouts, they they never think of the advanced scout. They always think about the either pro personnel or the college scout that's out scouting players. The advanced scout is it's the toughest job in the league just from a like it's hard to sit and do um, it to me sucks the joy out of the sport. You know, I, I like I don't mind scouting players because I can still actually enjoy what's going on as an advanced scout. Like I've tried to do that and it just it's the worst. It's the worst yeah. thing I've ever tried to do in basketball. Um, the the work schedule is terrible. Um, it's, like, it's like trying to enjoy a meal while running five miles, right? It's just, you're, you're, you're overstimulated. You can't take it all in, you know, it's basic training. Yeah. It's, he, he means it when he says that he doesn't know who's winning the game. He means that because you're trying to keep track of whatever he plays. And if you're doing, sometimes you're lucky enough that you're only doing one coach's hand signals, but a lot of the time you're sitting there and it's both. So your eyes are darting back and forth. Like you're watching a tennis match and you can't keep track of everything, but I'm sorry. I I interrupted. Yes. It it would. Oh yeah. I think I talked to an advanced kind of person who said he forgot which two teams were playing in the middle of a game. (laughs) I'll give you guys. How about this, Ethan? I, I doubt this happened just because of the time of the season, but I sat with one, well, this is going back a number of years now when Dwight Howard was playing for the Magic, and I, won't, I don't remember anymore, but I think it was the Pistons scout. First round playoffs, Orlando's playing whomever. Detroit would have been their second round matchup, and the scout sat right to my right, and he had his laptop open and a notepad, and he'd see, he'd see the, the Stan Van Gunn's call. Within seconds, he'd find the play on his laptop that corresponded with the call because it was easy for Orlando. They walked it up a lot, Jameer. And then he would see the wrinkle in the playset because they, maybe they had Dwight take two steps, one direction. They didn't do that during the season. So he'd watch the play on his laptop while Jameer is walking up the court to see how they changed the entry or was there a different screening angle to catch the nuance that, that Stan had Mm. done in the postseason that he had not done during the regular season, those little things. And now this guy was an experienced guy who's done it a long time. That, that would literally, not literally, but almost literally blow someone's mind. Yeah. They have no idea what's happening. And that's, that, that's another level, which is why the postseason gets to be postseason gets to be so different because other teams, your opponents have the time to scout you in a way they don't during the season. And that's the really, the bitter irony is, Ethan, before you came on, I had told uh, I told Dave I, I, that my son wants to run an NBA team one day, and I advised him never go through the advanced scouting department. It's the worst job in the world. And, and the bitter irony of the job is nobody gives a fuck on the team you're working for too often. You're getting incredible amounts of information 
Maybe it disseminates down to the coaches. It should, right? The players almost never hear any of that. I talked to players uh, who I've helped who going to a game didn't realize that so-and-so loved to shoot from this spot or had no left hand or the 18,000 tells or whatever. No one ever bothered to tell the players that. Now, the postseason tends to be different. You get a much better report during the postseason than you do during the season. But they're doing a ton of work, and it only reaches down to the level at best typically of the coach. It's pretty amazing. It is. And it is funny that some some people of this just vast knowledge, this useful knowledge are so cut off from the team. And it was interesting just to see on personnel decisions. Nobody contacts him. Nobody nobody mentions him. And in a lot of situations, a lot of guys in the organization don't even know who you are. A lot of the players don't know who you are. I don't think that was necessarily the case with uh, the scout. I was I was dealing with, but that that often does happen. And there's this bigger question, and this is maybe uh, less one for the podcast. We're maybe talking more X's and O's and and the game. But to me, there was this bigger theme that maybe I should have uh, hit on a little more so, which is what is. What is it like? Why? Why did he do it? What is it? And I think it's men, men especially will choose career over everything else and they'll choose it over some of the things that the career is supposed to, to, to reward you with. And I thought I felt that was the case for my guy where, you know, he he wants to get married. He's not getting married because he's been doing this. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And. He likes the work. You know, you said like Dave, Dave said Dave said that it sucked the joy. Out. I think my guy likes the work. I think he likes doing this. But what is it about doing this that you would choose it over everything? And I don't think he's the only I don't think he's the only guy who has done such a thing. And so that was something that was a little bit a little bit interesting to me. Some would say sad. I don't know if it's sad. It's it's a choice he made. It's just interesting that he made that choice. Have you seen the movie As Good As It Gets with Jack Nicholson? Yes. yes. So he's this brilliant writer who's got, you know, horrible OCD. And as I watched the movie, I I kept thinking his life is so rigid that he's just afraid to break out of it. Really, one of the many themes of the movie is Helen Hunt's character helps him realize that his life doesn't have to be so regimented, just like his gay neighbor and the dog. All of that breaks up the monotony of his life. And the advanced scout very much is immersed and that incredibly monotonous, rigid life of airplane, Uber, or rental car, depending on what he did, uh, game, notes, send it out, same thing every single day. That, that, that lack of variance, some people can find comforting mm. because there is, it's the merry-go-round. It, yeah. it really is the merry-go-round. There's, there's no roller coasters on that, and it's not as fun. I, I I like I like the reference. I, I'm reminded of uh, you make me want to be a better man. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm reminded of that, and I think he might have felt more loneliness. I think maybe I feel more loneliness on a road trip when I go on it than he does. In part because there are just no gaps for reverie. There are no there right. are no breaks. There are no stoppages. There's yeah. constant constant workflow, and that sounds horrible. To me, it would be horrible, but the advantage of it is that there's such little time for contemplation, and then a decade or so passes, and that's what you're doing. That's what podcasts are for, Ethan. The so contemplation. You can, you can reflect and contemplate with other people, and then you know have thousands of people listen to it. That's, oh, yeah. That's, yeah, that's exactly it, why we do this. Yeah. Uh, I would be remiss 
if I had you on the show and we didn't talk at least a little bit about the Warriors, uh-huh. um, and I, you know, I don't want to necessarily harp on the game that they lost to the to the Raptors yesterday. Uh, I I don't know if it's indicative of anything. To be honest with you, this team is kind of, you know, uh, we've seen this before. Kawhi is out. They have a hard time getting up for the game. And before you know it, the game's out of hand. This isn't a takeaway from the Raptors at all. Mm-hmm. But a topic of conversation that I think is worth exploring is their shot selection. They yeah. are currently third in the league in the number of mid-rangers. We talk a lot about Popovich and, and you know, I mean, he's the Spurs are far ahead of everyone else at like 48% of their shots are mid-rangers. Uh, Golden State is at 39% according to cleaning the glass and they are 20th in three point attempts. Uh, this is a thing. And, and I mean, it has been a point of contention among warriors fans. And I'm really curious about your inside look on this and, and, and why you think they're settling for these shots. Is it going for open shots or is it just I keep trying to prove my a point. question is, do, do, do warriors fans want to be honest about what's happening here? I feel in some ways that, I mean, when I say Warriors fans, who am I really talking about? I'm talking about Sam. Sam is Fondiari. Am I talking about Sam and Andy? You know, point I, I, point of contention. I, I, I feel, do you want to be honest about what's happening here? Because I think it's more fun, at least in the case of my guy, Sam and Andy, to blame Kerr. And it's less fun to blame a fan favorite and say, why is Clay Thompson taking all these shots? What is with these shots? What is with all these contested mid range? Now he's good at them relative to other people, but Clay is in a situation where there are a lot of mouths to feed. There are a lot of guys who need shots, and he's taking a lot of bad ones. And I don't necessarily think that's because Kerr is demanding that he do so. And so, you know, I don't. I don't think I'm looking at the situation and thinking there's this amorphous. Um, want to mid range that has pervaded the psyche of the organization. No, I think you have one guy who is such an elite mid range shooter that I have really very few compunctions about him shooting mid range shots. And that's, that's Kevin Durant. And then I have another guy who I basically almost always want behind the three point line who is taking a lot of contested mid range shots and that's clay Thompson. So let's isolate it down. I think it's a clay issue. I think it's a clay issue. It's not a generalized warriors. uh, Steve Kerr is locked in 1983. I think it's clay struggled with his three point shot. And then he got a little bit fell. He fell in love with the mid range. I know everybody, the ex players talk about falling in love with the three, but I guess fall in love with the mid range. And so that distribution, to my mind, it would be good for the Warriors if it uh, if it changed specifically. I, I, I mentioned this to you, um, my theory on this, and I think that maybe Kerr does have a little hand in it. That Clay has started the season. I talked to a former NBA coach who who mentioned what he called stacking shots, and mm-hmm. that's seeing consecutive shots actually go through the hoop, and what it can do for your confidence and also just for your shot. You know, finding rhythm. And I wonder if Kerr isn't, isn't a believer in this, uh, by the way, this coach was also very into analytics. So it's not like it's a 1983 thought process. Uh, it's just using, using analytics and applying it to human beings. Doesn't always mean just shoot every shot from behind a three point line. I think it's an interesting angle. Maybe Kerr is actually thinking light years ahead and Mm. saying, we got to get clay going. And if, if, if it means running him shorter off these curls and these pin downs so that he's actually taking, you know, an open shot that's, that's maybe not as good, 
or at least a shot where he feels like uh, he might be a little bit more comfortable right now. Maybe there's something to that. I don't know. There might, there might be, but I, I just don't agree with it. I don't have all the context. I think one of the things that happens as you start writing, <laughs> writing about the NBA is you realize I was never more arrogant than when I began and knew nothing. You know, the, the, the more I learn, the more I learn about how little I know. And so there's always part of me who, yeah, I'm, I might criticize what a team is doing, but I wonder if there's a method to the madness as you were talking about. And maybe that's the method, but I, I, I just don't know if it's a good idea. We have so many years of data supporting the idea that Clay should be taking three point shots. And look, if Clay is wide open for one of these mid range shots, then, then, then guy doesn't, you know, go with God, let it fly. But Teams are still rushing out and guarding clay when he's at the mid range. And a lot of them are turnaround shots. And I, I haven't gone through the data of how well he's doing at this, but it just seems like <laughs> this isn't the optimal way for the offense to run, especially when Kevin Durant needs the ball and gets cranky. If he doesn't get it, you know, I think clay needs to be more of, I, I don't want to say a peripheral piece, but maybe maybe a piece that isn't being as featured as much as he is around the nail and around the mid post area. That's, let me, let that's me throw, happening. let me throw two things of context in. Um, I love what you guys are saying. They're on pace right now. I think to have the second best offense of all time. <laughs> yeah. So it's always first world. It's always first world problems in Golden State. Right. And, and the only offense ever better was theirs two years ago. So, <laughs> so that's number one at one a, is they have a player on their team right now as we speak that's scoring like can you you guys want to guess was Steph Curry scoring per hundred per hundred shots right now? Uh, what is it? I I, I can't even venture a guess. Like one thirty eight. Oh yeah, number one in the league. So you've got the greatest three point shooter in history playing on the second best offense of all time, and we're fucking around talking about Clay taking a couple less shot, <laughs> couple less threes a game. In by the way, in December. He's taken almost eight shot, eight threes a game for the season, which is right around what he normally does. He's a little bit down this month. I just looked it up while you guys were talking because I've been watching the games and I don't pay it. I, I like Ethan very much. I don't care much about anyone else, but they're writing about Golden State. I watch what I watch and I analyze it myself. I wasn't aware that people were bitching about the second best offense of all time. And they're <laughs> not even cooking. Well, it's because you're focused you're focused on something else. You're focused on how is this offense doing? There's this other game that's being played. Uh, that's not just about winning the championship this season. Ideally, that would be the conversation. There's this conversation about how happy is Kevin? Where oh, is he's he leaving, go? guys. He's not going back there. <laughs> you don't think, you don't think actually, Kevin Durant, you don't think Kevin Durant can be enticed to stay with the Warriors if Clay takes yes, two I fewer mid-range shots is what you're saying. <laughs> knowing players the way I do, Anything is possible. So right, he hasn't signed anything yet, but but it's extremely unlikely that he's going to be playing Golden State next year. So enjoy the championship run now. And, and guess what? If you if you're really smart and you trade him for three or four studs, which you could do, you have, you have a chance of winning the next seven championships. If you don't and keep the other guys, you you have Steph Curry on your team. You're going to be in there every year. If you're a Golden State fan, stop worrying about everything else and just enjoy the wins. Are, are we your, saying it's amazing? Are we saying Kevin Durant talking about statues doesn't mean he's going to stay? Mm. 
I mean, I think See, he still I wants actually, those. I think he wants to leave, and he wants those statues to commemorate that he was there. It was, is, yeah, <laughs> yeah the, the Kevin Durant memorial statue out front. He, he feels a different way about a different thing every week. I mean, yeah. who, who even who even knows? Look, I I would tend to, if I had to guess, would guess what uh what, what Coach Thorpe thinks is going to happen, but you never Thorpe know. The Lakers, really? <laughs> yeah, really. Mark well, it down, mark it down. I mean, okay. that just doesn't seem like a. If if he doesn't feel reputationally sated here, then I, how is that going to work out for him? Because LeBron is old. I think he. I well, first of all, the, calling LeBron old is. I you know I mean he's doing. I know yeah. I get what you're saying. What he's what LeBron's doing right now is unbelievable. It's crazy. But I think that I think there's going to be. He goes to L.A. with Anthony Davis, which which is what I think is going to happen. They're, they're going to win some more rings unless Golden State is smart and does does a deal and loads up too. Uh, like Golden State right now could trade Durant and take every good young player on the Lakers team. Lakers would do it. And Golden State would be loaded with good young players to go along with what they have and be able to afford them for a while. Because a lot of those guys are years away from having to get paid. And you have some assets to move the other young players that you can still afford. But if those guys, if those guys just, you know, don't get I mean, traded. the thing is, the thing is, it, it's hard if you're Golden State. To just accept that you're going to you as the Warriors, yeah. the top team in the league, absolutely. Uh, to, to this idea that you're you're going to lose a major free agent, especially earlier where people were talking about the the Knicks as as, as a destination. Yeah. I mean, it's hard He's to go. To play with Jim Dolan. Um, so I think it's just hard for them it is to, hard. You're accept, right. to, to accept that and. Especially if you're Joe Lacob and you think we can do anything, what we can't re- retain a free agent. But it is, it is a little bit. It is funny. It's first world problems that there is a little bit of malaise to it. I call it winners only. Uh, that's the point, Ethan. The point yeah. is they're bored out of their fucking minds, and they have the second best offense of all time. Yeah, that's exactly. So what's good? So there's the the Louis C.K. Everybody's everything's amazing and nobody's happy routine currently. Wait and see what these guys do in April. If everyone's healthy, when they realize, hey, we will we may never or unlikely will never have this dream team again. Uh, Did you know Chuck Daly? This is funny. You know that Chuck Daly never called a timeout during the dream team's run, right? Never mm-hmm. once. Now they won every game by 50 on average. I honestly think until the Raptors series anyway, Golden State may have to take a timeout in the postseason. <laughs> I mean, obviously they probably will take some. Yeah. But if they – because DeMarcus gives them some depth and flexibility. They're going to be unbelievable if they just get out of their own way and just focus on one more ring. Let's get three in a row and four or five, one of the greatest teams ever, and then and then whatever happens from there. I, Let's go ahead, I do think that DeMarcus will be the malaise killer. When yeah. he comes back, yeah, it's pretty clear like that those guys all really like him. And I think yeah. that uh, when he comes back, I mean, Ethan, you're around him, like actually Surly. there with him a lot. Um, Surly you, dude. I, <laughs> okay, really? He's incredibly yeah. good, by the way. Uh, yeah. Well, it, just from a media perspective, the, okay. there are two different conversations, right? Of Where course. I, I think the way he interacts with his teammates is one thing. I think he has a certain opinion about media. Um, that might inform how he treats media, but he's, right. he's just a, you know, very grouchy, um, yeah. in he's my minimal, jerk. he's a jerk to the media. You can say, yeah, in my minimal interactions, which is fine. You know, I don't necessarily right. care about that. If that right. makes sense. I, I, right. I, I often feel as though, look, 
it might not be a positive indicator of one's personality, but somebody can theoretically be a good person who's mean to the media. And somebody can obviously be a bad person who's very nice to the media. And guess what? The conversation about how good somebody is at basketball is completely divorced right. from how good a person they are. So what are we even talking about? Right, so exactly. I, 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 I just like being honest and upfront about that, where I would say, I would say on this podcast that JaVale, I thought was great for the Warriors and I hated dealing with him. And then there are guys who can be jerks, but I kind of like them and I like dealing with them. Now I'm getting off on another tangent. (laughs) Andre Godala, perfect example where that's the, that's the kind of asshole I enjoy. Um, but anyway, yeah, I, I think he could be the malaise killer and yeah, maybe that's strange to put on to Marcus cousins because of the problems he's had in the past, but you just look at the incentives. I know coaches are big on the incentives. They don't want somebody, you know, uh, where the contract kicks in and then they, they become a completely different person with Mark. Like Capella. <laughs> Capella's struggling this year. He, yeah. he enjoyed his summer. DeMarcus is in a situation where I, I can't think of a time a year where there was more variance in what somebody might earn, where yeah. if, if DeMarcus flames out and looks like he has nothing, he might get something close to the minimum. You know, if he's feuding yeah. and it's bad and he's overweight, he might get something close to the minimum next season. If he comes out and he does everything with due diligence and just kicks everybody's ass in the playoffs, he could get max level. I mean, it really is that level of variance, and that's what you want if you're a team and you want somebody to perform. He has every incentive in the world to perform, so maybe you don't trust DeMarcus Cousins, but you got to trust the incentives. Yeah. Well, um, I am uh, legally obligated, because we are past the quarter mark of the season, that to talk about the MVP. Ethan, mm-hmm. do, you, do you mind? I don't want to sure. steal content. No, I don't know. Uh, yeah. I, I I don't have any good uh, I don't have any good MVP takes. Right. I, it, it seems as though I I think if the Lakers win over fifty five games, LeBron would would maybe be up there for me. Would maybe be number one. I know Giannis is getting a lot of buzz. I don't know if I'm quite there with Giannis. Um, he's incredible. And, uh, that, that team is a fantastic story, but there's just this aspect. I, it it will always bother me that he can't shoot a three pointer and can't make a three pointer. Maybe that's being unfair to the point where you need a five who can shoot threes in order for this team to be what it is. And yeah, it works. It it works in the situation, but I'm just, I'm not sure if I'm feeling the honest buzz. It's just LeBron is better than Giannis. LeBron is better than Giannis. Steph is better than Giannis. I think Kevin Durant's better than Giannis. If I'm t- we're talking I think, Warriors. I think Kawhi's better than Giannis. Ya- Kawhi Leonard is better than Giannis. And so I that's a name that people are maybe putting I don't know where people are putting the names. Is that the name that's at the top of the list? I think Giannis is kind of at the top. Um yeah. for for me, I've kind of got eight guys and, and because it's December, right? Mm-hmm. Um and the way that I, I start this, just to give you guys a, a glimpse at my process if you care, uh I have like eight to ten guys and that way I don't get caught up in narrative. So like if a guy has a great February and all of a sudden sneaks in, I hopefully will have already had him on my list. Mm. So like for me, Paul George is on that list. Yeah. Yeah. He deserves it. Mark yeah. Gasol is on that list. KD Curry, uh, Joel Embiid. Uh, I think Jimmy Butler could get on that list, but, uh, yeah, that's kind of, I don't know. Where are you at coach? Uh, I mean, if the Pelicans want some games, Davis, we would talk about if um, I think I think Ethan said what he said about LeBron is very accurate. But to me, the MVP of the league, assuming 
let's say all the best players play at least 72 games or whatever the number is, it's the minimum required, right? The, the guy that's most deserving, I would guess, unless unless what, what Ethan said happens with the Lakers. Uh, there's a guy in the league that plays for a team who scores 138 points per 100 shots he takes. <laughs> and he's on the second best offense of all time, okay? I don't care what he's done in the past that he's got two MVPs. Look, if he can't prevent Clay Thompson from taking those <laughs> mid-range contested shots, then what kind of leader is he and what kind of hardware does he deserve? God it damn does- it. I do have a question though, because at a certain point, like, like Draymond brought this up about defensive player of the year. I mean, Gobert won last year and only played 56 games. I mean, are we going to do the same thing with the MVP? Cause I don't, I don't know if Steph is going to stay healthy the rest of the season. I don't know if he's going to be hurt either. Uh, yeah. But if we're looking at track record, you know, maybe he, and in particular with the groin injury, those tend to flare up. I mean, is, is Steph going to play enough games? You know, like, is there a game that's amount? That's what I'm saying. So, I'm yeah. not predicting anything, Dave, because sure. I, I, I'm not in the business of predicting uh, uh, ankles and elbows. Right. Right. right? So uh, I just looked it up just for fun. Iggy off the floor, Draymond off the floor, Durant off the floor, Thompson off the floor, Curry on the floor. I just wanted to play around. All right. What like what does that offense look like? Oh, 170 points per 100 possessions. No, it's only 17 <laughs> possessions. Right. right. But, but Kerr clearly should bench those guys more. Because it means Curry's shooting more, which is all you need. Mm-hmm. He's the best player in the world offensively in terms of not you, – you can't evaluate it in a vacuum. I get that. But if you did, there is nothing better in this league right now than Curry just shooting the fucking ball as much as possible. Well, this contributes to the odd feeling of malaise, the, the, the Warriors' first world problems, is that sometimes they have so many mouths to feed – and all the fans really want to see is Steph shooting. They don't necessarily. Right. I mean, like they'll like some great ball movement. Fans are smart. Even, <laughs> they just they just want the little guy shooting the deep threes. Why? And, he, 138. I mean, he should shoot a hundred times a game. I, I found I myself getting bored yesterday, where yeah. it just seemed like he yeah. was off the ball a lot of the time at the beginning of the game, and he wasn't involved. And I, I yeah, heard, he missed uh, some shots. Ethan, I mentioned this on a previous podcast. I heard D'Antoni say, I think it was, I think he was talking to Zach Lowe. I don't remember who he was talking to anymore. He was talking to someone and he said that he tells his players, if, if, if your defender goes under a ball screen, I don't care if you shoot the ball 70 times in a game. That's what I want you to do. That's the right read. Same thing I say to my son now, who is not Steph Curry. Uh, it, Steph Curry, took if he took 73s in a game, that team would never lose. That's how good I mean, of a shooter he is. I'm just looking. I mean, this is yesterday's game was boring, and credit to the you know credit to the Raptors, right. credit to Van Fleet. Van Fleet did a great job on, on on Steph, but and yeah, Steph was three of twelve. But why were there only twelve shots? Right. I'm looking. Durant, 22 shots, Clay Thompson, 17 shots, Steph, 12 shots. That can't happen. Right. That can't happen if you're it's trying to Durant win that basketball. Which is why points. they should trade. They should trade one of the. They shouldn't trade Draymond. I don't think. Clay or Durant to me should be traded. Get some young guys that that still have some years left uh, in their first contract because it means Curry's going to shoot the ball more. If, if they just want to win and win longer in the future with that bigger window because Durant's not coming back, that's what they should do. They won't do it, and I understand the argument that they won't, but they should. Well, I think this is a good place to wrap up, uh, Ethan. I know you're a dedicated listener to Nerd She Wrote, so you know what's coming now. This is where we like to do the final thoughts. Um, I'm going to start with you. Uh, it could be just something that's been on your mind, something you're going to pay attention to in the next week or two. Uh, I mean, we're, we're approaching Christmas, maybe something Christmas related, 
whatever you want to talk about. <laughs> I feel very put on the spot. On, oh, you're on the spot. Yeah. Which is funny because I'm generally good at generating thoughts off the top of my head, but in this case, I'm, I'm not sure. I doesn't have to uh, be anything. Special okay. Here's my, deep. okay. Here's, here's my final thought. Um, I wanted, and I don't want, look, my editors do a great job and I think that they were probably making the right call on this one. Uh, vis-a-vis our audience, but I just selfishly wanted this. In the Scout story, there was a vulgar sentence in there that wasn't in there, and I wanted it in there, and so I just wanted to say what it was, which is uh, <laughs> the Scout told the story of when he was younger, and they upset his the college uh, that he was working for, upset Duke, and it was Bedlam. And the original quote in the story was the woman he was hooking up with came up to him and said, can we, by the way, can we curse on this podcast? Oh, yes. The, yeah, yeah. Yes. The, the, the woman he was hooking up with came up to him and, uh, and said, I am going to fuck you tonight. And, <laughs> and, and he said, and he said to me, oh, just, just knowing I didn't even have to work for it, that it was. It was just a done deal. The best. And I wanted that in the article because it just spoke to how this guy's life is so hard that one of the things he reminisces on is just that this that not only did he win, but that he just didn't have to work. I look you're the article starts with God damn it. Fucking shit. Would you look at this fucking guy? Right. I, yeah. You know, that that's a pretty strong lead. So, yeah, I, but you know. I, it was the sexual nature of it, and it was also, yeah, there are subscribers who have their kids read the articles, and right. I realized that it was a little too HBO, and there was an argument for cutting it, so I get it, and I trust my editors, but on uh, a podcast like this. Anyway. Yeah, <laughs> and well, it's things like that that make you know that The Athletic is not just about the clicks, though, and don't forget, you yeah. can subscribe if you go to oh, theathletic.com yes. slash back to back. Coach, what you got? Okay, so uh, when you told me Ethan was coming on, uh, I immediately went back to uh, I, I have, I'm very fond of Ethan, and you know one of my closest friends, Henry Abbott, loves him so much. So we talk about him more than he probably realizes. And ah. and uh, you know I talk to Henry probably you know three or four days a week, and Ethan is is part of those conversations. We've referenced that sneaker article more than a few times, uh, Ethan. Because uh, oh. it was brilliantly done, and and how the whole—I mean, I know the whole organic process Man, behind I it. I got—I got to come on this podcast every week. Okay, oh, you were saying. Yeah. So <laughs> tweet um, this, Ethan. Go but, ahead. <laughs> uh, but I, but I, I have spent some time with Ethan over the years here and there. We had a really nice dinner a couple years back in Vegas with it was Ethan and it was Baxter Holmes, brilliant writer, and uh, my longtime assistant who's in coaching in Jerusalem right now, and uh, Poland's national team head coach. Uh, who's a European coach and then a, a very good head coach in Australia who's now coaching in um, yeah. he actually took a job in uh, Charlotte uh, at college just to try to learn the American game a little bit and probably recruit back to Australia down the road. Uh, and I forget where we were, uh, Ethan, but Baxter ordered, ordered bone marrow. It was very good. Yeah. And uh, but but Baxter may have just got married or maybe wasn't quite married. I've met his wife since um, his fiance before that, uh, Ethan didn't have a child yet. And one of the great perks, one of my good fortune, just in the position I've been in as one of the older guys, I used to be a young buck for a long time in the coaching ranks. Since I got to ESPN, I was always one of the older guys. And it, it's, in, I, I, I feel flattered and, and, uh, and fortunate to witness the, the growth of all these young guys in the business as they grow into men, not just in their jobs. That's easier. But in life, and I, I follow Ethan online, and 
Uh, he's one of many that I'm very proud of because he gets that family <laughs> comes first. <laughs> he gets that family comes first. Uh, the way he treats his wife and his his joy of being a dad, Jade, in the same position. And he's got the most beautiful baby I've ever seen. My babies were not beautiful uh, 17 <laughs> years ago. Uh, and so I just I love seeing it. And I'm sure around the holidays, it's got to be I miss those days where I could just hang out with my babies. Now they're 17 and going all over the damn place. And I'm hoping to spend three hours with them here and there on the break. But what's yeah, your address? It's, it's fun to watch this stuff. What's hmm? your address? It, <laughs> if I can, it, I'm going to piggyback on the Ethan love uh, before I get to my final point. But uh, when I when I took this job, uh, I I told Jade that one of the people that's on my list is Ethan that I need to podcast with. Ethan is my favorite sports writer. Hands oh. down. I, and I'm talking like you're not here right now uh, because <laughs> I love it. Someone, like, uh, someone like aggregate at, this. I remember the funeral. Way, it's great. Yeah, it, it's well, I, I think <laughs> exactly. that uh, wedding shouldn't be the only time that you say nice things about people <laughs> to them. Um, but Ethan is my my favorite sports writer. And it's because of things like this article with the scout and the shoe article, like the way that 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 you think about not just the game, but also the, like the culture and life around the game. I think it's so unique. And so that, I mean, I read everything you write, uh, your gambling column is even awesome. So, uh, thank you for coming on the show. I'm going to oh, talk about, and I've got one more point to make because I think, and this just came out yesterday. Derek Fisher is, uh, he just took a job as the coach of the LA sparks. He's also now joined this, uh, some financing group that specializes in uh, they essentially are a predatory lending agency that goes after young athletes and has them using their, their contracts and their pensions, their future pension as collateral. It is one of the single most disgusting things I have ever seen a former athlete do uh, to his fellow athletes of, of all the things that you could possibly do after retiring from the NBA this is about the worst you can do to your fellow players. Jalen Rose says all the time, it's a small fraternity. There's not many of them, former players. This, I mean, it's, it's just, I mean, I, I'm not getting choked up about it. I'm just actually angry about it going after these young guys. And we know so many stories about, I mean, ESPN did a 30 for 30 broke. How many of these yeah. young guys have just burned through their money and then are trying to figure out how they're going to pay their bills later on in life. And I just think that uh, that needs some attention. It's getting some. Baron Davis called it out, you know, on Twitter. I think that's a big deal, and I, I hope someone looks into this and that Derek Derek Fisher is is shamed a little bit over this. Jade, can this be a weekly thing yes. where, where, where Dave talks about how great I am and yes. then pivots to, to talk about how horrible Derek Fisher is? <laughs> I'll get my last thought. And Ethan, I'm not that crazy about you. <laughs> <laughs> the area of grievances. Best of us. Um, <laughs> uh, for, for Ethan Strauss, for Coach Thorpe, for Jade Hoy, I'm Dave DeFore. This was Nerd She Wrote. Thank you very much. Ethan, uh -huh. you're the man. All right, thanks, uh -huh. guys. Thank you, buddy. Thanks so much, guys. So great. All right.